Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast, this for UFC 266. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined by Cody Safdick. This show is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. If you want to hear uh, about any sweet promos that are coming up here, Pat Mayo's Dulcetones will be joining, as, as is tradition, a little bit later in the episode Coming off the heels of a card that I think I was on the right path. And it just didn't work out. It's like Montel Jackson following JP Buys to the ground what, on like four knockdowns. Just like, mm-hmm. bro, if you stand, there's no way Buys survives if he doesn't follow him to the ground multiple times. But we're betting on like young, inexperienced fighters. These things happen in MMA. And then the, uh, the, wrong, the wrong fight... I had the under two and a half, and I bet that because it was a it was minus like one twenty versus like fight doesn't go to decision, which was minus one fifty, and I'm like, you know, that seems like a little bit too much juice. Well, I got greedy and I paid the ultimate price for it. So it's like I feel like I was on the right path. It should have been a good night. It ended up being a losing night, but that's that's the game that we play. When especially when you're dealing with like lower level competition, this card we're going back to like there are some great fights top to bottom. Uh, I'm sure you're excited as well, Cody. Yeah, well, I mean, the game sometimes has bad bounces, Paul, as we all know, even Contender Series last night. I mean, uh, Jacob Rosales wins the first round, scores a knockdown at the, at the end of the first round. No, Nobody gives it a 10-8 despite a near finish, and he breaks his hands, or he broke, broke his hand, loses two and three. Shit happens, right? It's just sometimes you get the favorable bounce, sometimes you don't. But you mentioned it best. It's the low-level fights. There's so much more unpredictability. It's like, does this guy got a ground game? I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Haven't really seen him on the ground. And if you have seen him on the ground, the opponent was 2-12, and 12, and uh, he looked good against that 2-12 and 12 opponent. This is a good offering. This is a UFC card stacked pretty much. Well, we'll talk about it. There's, a, there's a, actually a questionable guy on the card, but uh, maybe a couple questionable guys on the card. But for the most part, it's high-level martial arts, so how could you not be excited to be breaking these downs and uh yeah return of nick diaz title fights you name it pumped up for this one so we're also on i believe fight network and game plus network which is i mean that is the home of cody saftik that is where cody makes his bread when he's not on the program with us so it's uh good to be good to be back on television I mean, I, I Paul, wonder. Reunited I, and it feels so good. Re, reunited and it feels so good. So uh, happy, happy to be back on with them. Why, yeah, let's get right into the action here because I'm excited to break down these fights. Alexander Volkanovsky takes on Brian Ortega in the main event for the UFC Featherweight Championship of the World. Alexander Volkanovsky, a minus 170 favorite. Ortega can be had four plus 150. Take it away, Cody. I get a bad tendency sometimes that when someone's so dominant, doing so good, you're always looking at that like, well, who's going to be the guy to dethrone him? Who's going to be the guy to dethrone him? Or girl, because I've bet against Amanda Nunez before as well and regretted that's, it. That's dumb. But yeah, I, and you know, best of all, probably the dumbest play I've made in a very long time is that I thought, geez, Justin Gaethje might go out there and kick off Khabib's leg. And once his leg's compromised, and, and Gaethje's cast iron, you know the guy can fight five rounds. He's got excellent cardio. winging those hooks and the low calf kick. But in hindsight, how could you bet against Khabib? 
Israel Adesanya. No, I took Paulo Costa. Why would you take Paul? He's going to pressure him, dude. He's going to pressure him. In hindsight, there's levels of striking, and Izzy's at the highest level of striking. Sometimes you have a, there's no reason to bet against these individuals. It's like you're just almost looking to be the contrarian and you can't be stupid about it. So this is another fight. I think it's super close. I think the line of minus 170 for Alexander Volkanovsky might be a tad bit steep. Brian Ortega is as worthy as a challenger as you're possibly going to find. But I mean, Alexander Vol- Volkanovsky has been near perfect so far in the UFC. So why turn your back on him? What doesn't the guy do well? I mean, he comes in as just like a, a stocky little rugby player that'll probably use some power wrestling. But for a guy that picked up wrestling later on in life, I mean, he's as good as it gets. He's just mm-hmm. very strong. He's able to muscle you to the ground. He's got excellent cardio. As far as fighting at this weight class goes, he used to be like a 240-pound rugby player. At this weight class, he's as strong as it gets. He's got a, a, a di- ring IQ, right? His ability to, to make changes on the fly, his willingness to win, his heart. He's got the complete package. Now, how does a guy like that get elite-level striking? How do you catch up in the elite-level striking? And then he goes out and paints two great fights against Max Holloway. Now, of course, the first fight, there's moments either side, but he clearly wins. The second fight, eh, there's an argument you can make the other way, but I don't make that argument. I think Alexander Volkanovsky dropped the first two rounds, and either Max Holloway took his foot off the gas, or Alexander Volkanovsky made those adjustments. The leg kicks were working excellent for him. The pressure started to work excellent for him. How do you go out there and out-volume Max Holloway? But he goes out there and he does it twice. And so, again, when you look at competition as a whole, right, Brian Ortega's had an excellent run where, you know, Cub Swanson is an aged legend. He's at the tail end of his run, but he's got that big name. And Frankie Edgar, tail end of his run, big name. Chang Sung Jung, I'm not going to say tail end of his run, but certainly not in the prime of his career. He's got a big name. Uh, he's also got wins over Clay Guida and guys like, you know, Diego Brandau once upon a time. What I'm saying is that the level of competition is like a tad bit past their prime. Now, he has mixed it up with the likes of Max Holloway, where he completely got rearranged. And you've got Alexander Volkanovsky who posts two wins of war. I'm not using MMA math. What I'm saying is if you're looking at talent level, Brian's looking exceptionally well against guys at the tail end, whereas Volkanovsky's fighting the prime of his career mm-hmm. right now. So he comes in here, he makes weight. He, he, it's hard to bet against Brian Ortega. I hate to do it. He's a complete package as well. He's got excellent cardio. He's got excellent striking now. Certainly worked on it a lot and improved. His power seems to be there. And, he, and he's a hardworking individual. He's always going to improve. He neutralizes Volkanovski's wrestling advantage with his jiu-jitsu advantage. So this ends up being a striking battle. And, you know, can Brian Ortega box him up? Possibly. He could do exactly what Max Holloway did. But similar to that fight, Volkanovski just finds a way, right? So I, I don't... I don't want to go against Volkanovski, but don't. I also am not very confident in a Volkanovski play. So I'm not? kind of looking to pass. It's the main event of a huge pay-per-view. You're going to have action. The official play will be Volkanovski, but I'm looking to attack this on the overs, over three and a half, over four and a half, five goes the distance. I don't know what I don't know what Volkanovski's done that makes you not confident. Just Ortega's so talented. That's all. That's all. He is very talented. And he, like, I mean, the progression that he made in that chance on Chan Sung Jung fight is was huge. It showed that this guy has become a complete mixed martial artist. He's, you know, everyone kind of was like, oh, well, he's going to have to like get it to the ground. He's going to have to find a sub. That's the only way he's going to. And she's like, nah, he just outstruck him for five rounds, which was super, super impressive. The inter- interesting thing is that somehow, even despite being two inches shorter than Brian Ortega, Volkanovski still has a two-inch reach advantage. That's going to come in really handy. Yeah. And if you are Volkanovski, and he's smart. He, this guy fights very, very tactically when he has to. I mean, he, he's a, he had, you know, on his rise up, he was able to absolutely clown on guys because the, the talent gap was so significant. But 
he's so smart. He's he's gonna fight at range. He's gonna treat any sort of like tie up. Um, you know, Ortega's wrestling isn't elite by any stretch of the imagination, but all that guy has to do is really just grab a hold of you, and then that makes the that that changes everything, and he can change the fight in a in a blink of an eye, right? Um, I think Volkanovski is just going to be too strong. He's going to be able to push him off uh, anytime that Ortega tries to tie up. Obviously, do not shoot for takedowns. There's no reason. And I feel like, I, I, again, MMA math obviously doesn't always work out. But, you know, Volkanovski won clearly the first time that him and Max Holloway fought. Second time, some people thought that Max Holloway won, but it was razor close um, either way. And Ortega, now, you know, the lesser version of himself, got absolutely, that was a career-changing performance. You know, made him go back to the drawing board. He got smacked up so so bad for four rounds that he couldn't even continue in round five. I think it's Volkanovski. I like the over because of what Ortega has showed uh, in terms of durability. I actually got in on the over thanks to a, to a friend who who tipped me on it when it was like minus one oh five a couple weeks ago. So I'm I'm in line with you on that. I think Volkanovski wins. I think Volkanovski wins by decision uh moving on down the card this one i mean what are we gonna even really say valentina shevchenko takes on unlucky lauren murphy because she's next in line for i mean the absolute beatdown that shevchenko has been putting on this entire flyweight division uh minus 1500 is the line on valentina plus 850 for unlucky lauren uh (laughs) We you, obviously, when you have like minus fifteen hundreds, you got to find other ways to play this. And uh, I think inside the distance, I don't have the exact number, but it's like um, Shevchenko, I believe, inside the distance is like minus two ten. That's probably how I, I think over the course of five rounds, she probably gets the job done. But we have seen her many in some of her fights. Sometimes she likes to take her time. Sometimes it just doesn't really present itself um in the same way she's so good everywhere and that grappling has come around come along so well i don't think she even has to consider really doing much grappling here but we kind of thought that last time out that she wouldn't really have to and then she goes out there and apps like she i mean i i had posted like a, a meme on twitter um calling her shevchenkov and i i put a, a beard on her because my god <laughs> Her wrestling game had taken, just had taken that next step. She is so good. The only other girl on the planet better than her is Amanda Nunez. And size really matters when you look at the two times that those two women fight. I mean, uh, breaking news. Shevchenko is my pick. Um, I think she wins inside the distance. What do you think about this one? Well, I, okay, I think we're all on the same page that she's going to win the fight. She can win this fight anywhere she chooses mm-hmm. to. If she just strictly keeps it standing, she's got more polished, better refined kickboxing skills, better kicks. She's better at range. She's faster. She's got snappier punches. Lauren Murphy is more of a brawler. She's going to get in the pocket. She's going to try to let these overhands go, these hooks go. She's going to try to make it a dirty fight. But against Valentina, like, good luck, man. Good luck. She's just so elite that you can't make it a brawl with her she just moves so well she's got such good footwork but beyond all that lauren murphy's been grinding on opponents but if you just take murphy down takedown defense not great she's strong she's physical but is jessica and not strong and physical come on you know when you talk about those levels to this stuff it's not that lauren uh, murphy is not a fine contender it's that 
there's just such a large talent gap between her, him, or sorry, her and everybody else. When you look at the 205 division once upon a time with John Jones, it was the exact same huge skill discrepancy, only John Jones would play with his food. Valentina doesn't seem concerned about that. She goes out there, treats every opponent like it's the biggest fight of her career, takes everything seriously, and gets the victory. Now, you made a great point. She's a little bit, not hesitant, patient, right? She's got five rounds to work with in all these fights. She's got all the skills in the world. She could end the fight on a absolute even the andrage fight man like that crucifix she just passes to crucifix and with a matter of seconds it's like oh my god it's over stop this fight the caitlin chikagian fight she takes three rounds to get going right she's winning all these rounds easily but in the third round it's the same position right you get her down she's got excellent grappling as far as the stand-up goes ask jessica i another durable fighter until you eat a head kick lopsided the head like so, yeah, I think we're all agreeing that she wins this fight wherever it takes place and wins it easy unless the MMA gods somehow cause her to blow out her knee or, or, or some, some crazy, crazy instance that sometimes does happen in mixed martial arts. Barring any of that, she gets the victory. What we got to look at here is how many rounds is this thing going to take. Now, DraftKings Sportsbook's letting us know that they think uh, they're setting the over and a half at two and a half and they're making it at 120. And I'm almost tempted in that. Yeah, we know Valentina can end the fight on a, on a, on a moment's notice. But Lauren Murphy in four career defeats, never been knocked out. She also has that loss to Nico Montano on the on Ultimate Fighter. Wasn't knocked out. It's another decision. She's never actually even been knocked down, right? So her one best attribute throughout her fight career has been her willingness to fight, her desire to scrap. She's durable. She will come forward. She's not going to quit on herself. And for that reason, you almost got to think, could she not maybe fight a Liz Carmouche or a Jennifer Maya type game plan for those early rounds? where she does try to grind her up, does keep this fight in tight quarters, and hopefully does keep it standing, lets two rounds tick away, and then Valentina more than likely does take over three, four, and five, and could be the first woman to stop her because Lauren's also not have to fight into these fourth and fifth rounds. So by the time that comes around against Valentina, it's a tough premise, but I'm almost feeling the over two and a half, but overall probably Valentina inside the distance to become the first person to stop her. That seems all pretty fair. Um, you know, it's a women's flyweight fight. And, and yeah, obviously they are juicing these, you know, they, they, you know, the books are juicing these a little bit more. And we have seen Valentina take her time, be very patient out there, look for her openings. I'm not going to be surprised for it to get over those two and a half rounds. Um, I'm not going to be surprised if it goes to decision. It's a really tricky spot trying to, trying to get a bet on a minus 1500 favorite here um can i just jump in with the last thought there i yeah, sure. i hear you only my only issue is lauren murphy's 38 years old and when you look at the wins right first of all sinjar eubanks who wouldn't go around with valentina morella barella andrea lee yeah, yeah. roxanne modafferi lillian shakarova and oh, joanne calderwood is actually yeah. legit badass but she's not valentina Shevchenko. i know i'm not right? saying that i that shevchenko i think it's just really hard trying to decipher what is the best bet in this spot because if she wins by decision and it's just like murphy well, the just, over two and a half murphy is just, yeah yeah murphy is just super super durable and right. just somehow survives and it's like you get to the scorecards and there's multiple 10 eights in there and we get like you know a 50 42 or something like that but murphy holds on i wouldn't be surprised by that type of result you know um, maybe maybe I'm just like stung a little bit from like certain finishes not happening for me in time last week, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I like the over two and a half, uh, I suppose, but yeah, no no guarantee on that either. Um, yeah, I don't have a bet on it yet. 
we'll see by the time we get to Saturday. I'll watch weigh-ins and see if I have an edge on it. All right, moving on down, we got Ruthless Robbie Lawler taking on Nick Diaz. It's a middleweight fight now because Nick said, I don't want to cut weight. Took a day for uh, for Robbie to, to be like, ah, I don't care. I want to get paid. This is a five-round fight on top of that, which is, uh, you know, Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz plays by his own rules. The Diaz brothers in general's in general, play by their own rules when they show up. Uh, they tell Dana what they're willing to do. And uh, you got to love it. It's Diaz fight week. Good to have him back. This guy hasn't won a fight in like eight years, though. So um, it's really, I mean, it's really hard to sit here and say anything except for like, if you feel like you really want to put a bet on it, I think Robbie Lawler, that's where the money seems to be moving in right now. Robbie Lawler would be my pick at this point it's like how much tape study can you really do because like is that tape study even relevant to what nick diaz is going to show up uh on fight night here uh the one tricky thing i want to i'm looking i'm looking forward to the weigh-ins is is there a possibility that nick diaz has been walking around heavy this entire camp um, maybe he wants to have like a wrestling game plan because that's how you beat ruthless Robbie. And he had no intentions of ever making 170 pounds like that. You never know. You can't, you can't, you can't put that pass past Nick Diaz. Robbie probably is getting pay-per-view points and he's more than happy to, you know, I'll do, he'll do whatever it takes to make sure that this fight happens on Saturday night. But yeah, middleweight fight. Ruthless Robbie is my pick. Cause I have no idea. I'm looking forward to the press conferences and all that stuff. I have no idea what to expect from Nick Diaz at this point. I mean, last time that we saw him was against Anderson Silva. He's literally just lying down on the ground um, multiple times, just joking around like it was a complete farce that entire fight. Now, well, that, that was like five, six years ago now. Um, it's hard to back him. I, I don't know what he's got left in the tank, but happy that he's back. How could you not be happy that he's back? MMA needs characters, and Nick Diaz is foremost one of MMA's great characters. So we're happy to have him back. But everything you mentioned holds true. He hasn't won a fight in 10 years. He hasn't fought in six years. And he hasn't looked good in, what, since the BJ Penn fight, you know? It's like, it's a, it's a decade ago. That's his last victory. All of his victories, for the most part, would be considered irrelevant guys. Hayato Sakurai, KJ Noons, Cyborg Santos, the OG original. Paul Daly, I suppose, is still cutting it up in Bellator to a certain extent, right? But, I mean, we got to talk theory. It's all theory, right? Because we don't know what version of Nick Diaz is coming back. He doesn't look good 10 years ago, or I guess, you know, the last time we saw him against Anderson Silva six years ago. Has he suddenly made a ton of improvements? But let's start off with the weight issue, right? So, this again, this is all theory. The last time he made 170 pounds would have been the George St. Pierre title fight. So he's got to make a championship weight. That fight is eight and a half years ago. March 16th, 2013. Right, right. Eight and a half years ago, he makes 170 pounds. Then he takes two years off because he's suspended. He comes back for a super fight with Anderson Silva. Super fight goes down. He's at 185 pounds taking on Anderson. And he totally clowns around. In my heart of hearts, I truthfully do believe Nick Diaz could have won that fight. Unfortunately, he just wasn't doing shit. I mean, he landed 77 strikes. That's not Nick Diaz's pace. This is a volume puncher. And yeah, he's fighting a middleweight, a big middleweight at that. And one of the goats of all time. Goats of all time. One of the goats, right? 
it's a tough fight, but yeah, he just, he wasn't fighting like he was trying to win the fight. He was fighting like he was trying to entertain the crowd. And if he comes out here and tries to entertain the crowd, we're both going to win, right? The fans are all going to win in terms of entertainment value. But in terms of a Nick Diaz bet, it's just, yeah, it's a little bit tough. So again, he hasn't had to make 170 in a while. He makes 185. Now it's been six years since that fight. So look at the fact that when he fought Anderson Silva, he was 32 years old. He can he can make 185, no problem. He can still make 170 at that point. Now he's coming back to the sport as a 38-year-old man who has not had to make 170 pounds in the last eight and a half years. So no, he can't make 170 pounds. And here's another issue why it's hard to go against Robbie Lawler, right? In the last six years, in the since uh, let's say since the last time Nick Diaz competed, in the last six years, Nick Diaz has been a train wreck, man. Like, have you seen his Instagram? It's just him drunk all the time mm-hmm. and partying. And he makes no sense. He's incoherent half the time. And I, I can't imagine he's training. Remember back when he was training back in the day for the UFC, he'd be competing in these triathlons. Does he still? Apparently, he does once in a while, recreationally. He rides his bike around. But he never drank before. Jake Shields, one of his best training partners and best friends in this game, went on record to be like he had never tasted alcohol. He wasn't a drinker back when he was fighting competitively before, but over the last five years, that's why you see all this nonsense on social media. You know, he's, uh, he's making up for the times when you're a kid and he was a kid when he started the sport, you don't get to enjoy those moments. You don't go out with your buddies. You don't go party. You're grinding in the gym, trying to be the best martial artist you can be. He got to that level. He fought George Champier for a world title fight and then got a super fight with Anderson Silva. He made his money and then he kind of went the party route. So over the last six years, he hasn't been sharpening his tools whereas Robbie Lawler's been competing against the best guys in the sport to mix results, but still he's training every day. He's at Sanford MMA. He was at American Top Team. He trains with the best coaches, the best training partners. He won a world title in the time that Nick Diaz has been away from the sport. And again, I mean, what's his kryptonite? Wrestling, yes, yes, 100%. Neil Magny can take him down. Uh, Colby Covington's going to be able to take him down. Rafael Dos Anjos can take him down. Those guys are going to be able to take him down. Nick Diaz has even wrestled over the last six years? So, yeah, the weight advantage plays towards Diaz. He's probably naturally the bigger man at this point, but uh, it's just hard to get behind him. Now, he is durable as a son of a bitch. So let's look at these overs, Paul. I mean, they got this set as an over four and a half. Ah, yeah, it's going to be a they, Yeah, they're, they're, they're they are wise. Battle. They are wise. Uh, yeah, they've got uh, FICO's to like decision that. at yeah, DraftKings minus like 125. I mean, the best price on that right now is at DraftKings Sportsbook. It seems like people are are attacking attacking that one um, across the uh, the rest of the industry. It's I see minus one nineties, minus one fifty two. Well, that one's coming back to to earth. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, he was durable six years ago, but is he showing up for a paycheck? No, is this no. going to be the I'll best version of him that shows up? It's hard to feel that way. I mean, a lot of I, I feel like those those weigh-ins are. I, I don't expect them to look in like great shape, but I'll be I'll be looking real real close at my computer, you know, trying to pick up on any sort of tone uh, to his muscles. And this is not this is not a guy who like ever showed up like looking jacked by any stretch of the imagination. But maybe you'll be able. There'll be a tell of like, oh my god, he looks horrible. Rob, Rob, Robbie should show up looking looking quite stout. He always does. The guy's always in shape. 
He's deezed up. He's deezed up. And to be honest with you, I could see Robbie actually using a little bit of his own wrestling. Like if this thing does just become a, a fast-paced striking battle and Robbie's not favoring it, Diaz has no takedown defense. And where he's got vaunted jiu-jitsu, it's 2021, man. You're not going to go plotting somebody in the UFC. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen, right? So I, 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 I just got to feel like I got to go with Robbie. Um, last thing, and then we can move on from this fight, is that Diaz had posted this thing with like him and AJ Agazarm, and they're like kind of like – not even sparring they're just fucking around poolside throwing some punches and diaz's timing looks off he looks as hittable as he's ever looked he looks lethargic and then the the clip's like two minutes and two minutes in aj Agazarm, a guy that wrestled uh collegiately at ohio state bjj black belt you know competes regularly for the bellator promotion uh like two minutes into this clip he's just got him figure out and he's just like you know <laughs> I'm looking at a live betting perspective too. I fully expect Robbie to win those early rounds. It's that if Diaz is still Diaz, he's one of these guys that can take over late. The reason why that's not enough for me to pull the trigger is the Anderson Silva fight where it's, and the Nate Diaz fight for fuck's sakes. It's like the wind yeah, could Nate. be hanging on a carrot. It's dangling, Paul. You see that? It's the wind. And instead they're just like, stop the motherfucker. What? And it's like, no, no. Bum rush him. Throw some more punches. Don't lie down on the canvas and have a nap. It's so frustrating. So I got to go with Robbie, but I'm so I'm so happy to see that Diaz is back because the excitement level on this fight it's different than any other fight we've broken down probably this year. To be honest with you, I'm stoked for this. It's a legends fight, but it's not an Evander Holyfield Vitor Belfort. You're gonna feel bad about it. Legends fight, and those are the best kind. Yep. Hey, uh, the the people in uh, the censorship department over at Fight Network and. Uh... And uh, game write plus. down the uh, write down the time. Oh. Yeah, put down oh. the time. Cue. Well, you oh, don't Lord. have to do it. Oh, do we I, not have somebody? Give me a rough estimate. <laughs> Give me a rough estimate, and I'll be able to. I, I, I I'm it. trying to keep. I'm trying to keep it uh, PG here <laughs> for for uh, the ease of access for you guys. Um, but I think you threw two f bombs in that last thing. I mean, you were talking about a Nick a Nick Diaz. I was fight. pumped. So these up. things happen Nick in Diaz. MMA. Hey, I don't want to <laughs> censor you. Don't censor me. But uh, you know. Ah, you guys, you guys have people who take care of that stuff. All right, moving on down the card, we've got Curtis Razor Blades taking on Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Uh, Curtis Blades, a minus three ten favorite. Rosenstrike can be had four plus two forty five. I mean, this fight is not exactly uh, rocket science either. Curtis Blades is going to take Jairzinho down, and he's going to do it at will. Hopefully, as early as humanly possible, or he's gonna take a canvas nap. I mean, and I think the line is probably pretty close to accurate. Um, I think he does it, yeah, like 70, 75% of the time. The the wrestling of Curtis Blades gets the job done, controls some top position, then it's a question of whether he finishes Rosen Strike or not. But heavyweights and a guy like blades who what has been his kryptonite heavy hitting power punchers that you know don't go away um obviously we've seen with Derek lewis we saw it with francis and twice um jairzinho rosenstrike is another guy that's kind of on that on that pedigree in terms of like the ability to just shut your lights out three rounds i think does favor Curtis Blades, he doesn't have to hang in there uh, for five rounds. If this was like on a fight night card, five rounds for Rosenstrike to get the job done, land that one clean uh, punch on the button, 
even more dangerous if I had to. Uh, I'll be picking Curtis Blades here. If I had to bet uh, this fight, and I'm kind of nervous about it for Blades in general, just because we've seen him get knocked out too many times. I see uh, like plus 400 out there for Rosenstrike by knockout. That's how I would probably approach this fight, if anything. Yeah, okay, so we're not allowed to swear anymore, but are we allowed to still say apple pie shitter? Because I will tell you something, Curtis Blades will end up being that guy for us. I like Curtis Blades, love Curtis Blades, always like Curtis Blades, because he's one of the few heavyweights that can put this wrestling pace, the high-level wrestling, good cardio, and just grind, 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 grind. You're not going to find that. At- we-, we love that style at any weight class, Paul. That's the winning formula to win a mixed martial arts fight. Uh, in his case, he's able to do it at heavyweight, which is just something you don't see very often. However, he's a loss away. If he gets knocked out from Rosenstruck, he's officially the Triple Crown winner because he's taken on these three scariest power punchers the heavyweight division's ever seen, and he has not come up on the positive end of it. Sorry, this is the third time. Francis Ngannou, both times, right? He's the man that knocks him out, but we give him a pass because Francis has just got such freakish power. And then the Derek Lewis fights, like, well, Derek Lewis just got freakish power. And now he draws Yerzino Rosenstruck, which we've already seen the formula to how how do you beat Curtis Blades? It's not to stop the takedowns because you're not going to, right? Or at least he, he can chain wrestle. You might stop a takedown or two, but he's eventually going to get you to the ground and work you over. That's why he has the heavyweight record for most takedowns scored in a single fight. Uh, I just, I, I like the pacing out of him, but we know that if he gets clipped by one of these heavy handed guys, he's going to topple over. And so the premise of paying a minus three ten price tag for him is definitely scary. I think you're onto something great here. How does Rosenstruck win this fight? Well, it would be by knock it. He's going to clip him. He's going to knock him out. And they're giving you a plus 400 tag on that. Seems pretty decent. The flip side of that is Curtis blades going to finish Rosenstruck. I don't really think so. I mean, yeah, we've seen Rosenstruck get knocked out. Not by Curtis Blades, by Francis Ngannou. Mm-hmm. Besides that, it seems like he's durable enough that if you just ground him, and it's not like Curtis Blades is just ground and pound all the time, pace, pace, pace. Like sometimes the Volkov fight is a great example. Sometimes it's about you take him down, you try to get position, you try to hold him down a little bit, you kill a little time off the clock, he gets back up, you peel him back down. He takes that approach, and I think he will. I think he gets the victory. And I think if I'm trying to sweeten up a straight-up Curtis Blades play, I think you go with him by decision. Keep in mind, he just got knocked out by, by Derek Lewis. And it was a fight that when you would go back and you would watch the tape, you'd really be very dumb. frustrated. He fought really dumb in round one, man. What exactly. And I think you can learn from that. Yeah, you got to take him down. You got to ground him. You got to do that as quickly as possible, as safely as possible. Yeah. Because if you don't do that, I mean, he was fighting. He's fighting Derek Lewis's fight. And then when he finally ducked, uh, ducked his head in round two to go get it, well... He was he was met with an uppercut, but it's like if you drain drain these power punchers in round one, you gotta wear them down. That that punch is a little bit less powerful. Now we're talking about Derek Lewis, who just has the death touch at the strangest times in fights in general. But but yeah, I mean it's it's a game of Russian roulette when you when you deal with some of these heavy hitters in the heavyweight division. So laying the, the minus 300s that you see out there, minus 350 even in some spots, like that's that's risky biz, man. Now, what is we got uh, blades by decision is coming in at plus 200. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's pretty reasonable, I would say. Uh, I like where your head's at on that one. Um I guess either Blades by decision at plus 200 or Frozen Strike by knockout. Plus 400. Pick your poison. 
Uh, moving on down the card, we have Jessica Andrade taking on Cynthia Calvillo. Minus 275 Andrade. Plus 220 for Calvillo. I think Jessica Andrade kills her. I don't even think this is going to be particularly close. And I know Cynthia Calvillo hasn't been finished in MMA. She did get submitted by uh, Danielle Kelly uh, in Quintet Ultra. But, uh, you know, she's been very, very durable. She's super, super tough. But I look at the, you know, the the opponents that she has had. And obviously she's coming off of a loss against Caitlin Shukagian. It's just like Jessica Andrade is a whole different beast who hits incredible. Like, this is not a division where people, I mean, you, we were talking about the best fighter in this division maybe getting over two and a half rounds in a fight that she's a minus 1,500 favorite. Jessica Andrade is not that girl. She is she is a body snatcher. She can I, I, she has been finished on her own in her own right, but you know, being able to beat Rose Namajunas by the slam, being able to knock out Karolina Kovalkiewicz, who was super, super durable at that point in time. Uh, hooks to the body against Caitlin Chukagin, who's super, super durable. It's like, I feel like Cynthia Calvillo's biting off a little bit more than she can chew here. Um, she's ne- going to need to outmuscle uh, Andrade. And Andrade is just, you know, built like a stovepipe. Super, super, super strong. I don't like this whatsoever for Calvillo. And when they're hanging out on the feet, like, I don't see enough, like, pop coming out of those punches to really deter um, Jessica Andrade. I like Andrade. I like Andrade inside the distance. I think she becomes the first woman to finish Cynthia Calvillo. And the price tag on Andrade inside the distance is about plus 150. Don't love it, but that's how I would approach this fight. What about you? Yeah, I definitely would like to take Jessica Andrade. I think that she's the superior fighter. Again, this is another fighter that, at her best, right, wins in every area of the fight. You're going to keep it standing with her? No way. She's going to John Lineker you. She's going to be backing you up, putting pressure on you, letting those hooks fly. Excellent strikers have tried to stand up to her, and it's just like volume and pressure and staying in your face. As far as the wrestling goes... Uh, she's got excellent offensive wrestling because she's so damn strong. She'll pick you up. She'll slam you. She'll peel you to the mat. She'll BJJ block belt, right? Excellent grappling skills, good submission game. So she's extremely well-rounded. And I just think that she beats Cynthia Calvillo in every one aspect. If I'm going to play devil's advocate to just any point so we can at least see what's our worst case scenario Mm -hmm. is that it doesn't appear that, that, Jessica Andrade is the best defensive wrestler. What I mean by that is that you look at the last fight, and yes, it is Valentina Shevchenko, seven takedowns. No one really expected Valentina to just toss her around so effortlessly. And once the fight was on the ground, despite the fact that Andrade was a BJJ black belt, she offered up very little. I mean, she did get routed in that fight. If you look at other fights where she takes it down, she got taken down twice by Tisha Torres. Again, this is years ago now but not known for her wrestling. You know, she gives up a takedown. Well, I guess at that point, Raquel Pennington is gigantic, so we can't uh, can't discredit her too much. She hasn't really fought anybody that went out with the game plan of, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to grind you. She takes on girls that she's either going to have these advantages everywhere, but are predominantly strikers. Zhang Wiley, Rose Namajunas, Caitlin Jukagian, Valentina Shevchenko, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, Tisha Torres, Claudia Gadelia. 
for the most part, there's not been any of these fighters that you would label as a wrestler per se. Cynthia Calvillo got to be smart enough to realize I don't want to exchange with Jessica Andrade for 15 minutes on the feet. But she's much shorter than I am. At 125, even though she's so physically strong, it's a better weight class for Cynthia Calvillo. She's going to be slightly bigger, I believe. And mm-hmm. she does have that wrestling acumen. So if she can just keep Andrade on the outside with her dra- jab, cause Andrade to overcommit to something, duck under, get this fight to the ground. She could have pockets of success with her top game, but um, I'm not in the market of, this is not Cynthia Calvillo on an excellent little run right now. And she's going to come out here and shock the world. She's coming off a loss to Caitlin Chikagian. I thought she looked extremely flat before that. The fights at 115 that she was having, she was missing weight again, coming up flat. And let's not forget, she is 34 years old. So I don't know what kind of grand improvements can be made. Jessica Andrade, meanwhile, she's got, She's, it's an experience level thing, right? All of her losses are to like the former champions of the division, the best girls in the sport, the best of the best, the creme de la creme. So can Mm -hmm. we not give her a pass on those? Okay, let's give her a pass on those. What about anybody who's not a former world champion? Oh yeah, she crushes. Well, how is she going to do in this fight? Probably crushes. But I'd be lying if I said it's a complete walkover and I wasn't worried. I think that Calvillo does have a path to victory, but imposing your will on Jessica Andrade is a lot easier said than done. 100%. 100%. All right, moving on and down the card, we have Marab Davalishvili taking on Marlon Marais. Davalishvili, minus 260. Marais can be had for plus 210. I mean, we've seen it enough with Mar- uh, Magic Marlon Marais at this point. How does he win fights? Well, it ends up coming down to him basically finishing early. This guy's gas tank is incredibly questionable and he's taken on Marab who seemingly has an endless gas tank and insane pressure moving forward. But this is a massive step up in competition for for Marab and Marab likes to drag fights out. He obviously basically wears you down, beats you down and that's how he does his best work in MMA. Um, The biggest struggle, I I feel like at, at this price... You know, they're aware that Magic Marlon Marais probably has to get it done in the first, like, seven and a half minutes of the fight. He's got to land. He's got to land clean. He's got to get the job done that way. I feel like essentially what's happening here is this fight just screams much better live betting opportunity, in my opinion, than getting heavily invested pre-fight. I expect Marlon Marais to look good early. I expect that live entry or the live opportunity to be better after the first two minutes of this fight on Marab, you know, hoping that he doesn't get his head knocked off into the third row uh, in the first, you know, minute or two. That is the real key here. I think you end up getting, you get in on this fight in the live markets. I think that's the better place to do it. I also, uh, maybe you can talk me off of this, but I think as this fight goes on, and this covers, you know, Magic Marlin. Uh, i got to stop keep calling him Magic Marlin. Marlon Marais' is, uh, path to victory. The under two and a half rounds, plus 160. I know that, you know, Duvalishvili typically goes to decision, but Marais kind of, if he doesn't get you out of there, and the level or the pace and the speed that Marab fights at, I wouldn't be surprised to see Marab get a late finish on him in this spot either. So uh, Marab Devalishvili probably late finish is how I see this fight playing out, but I'm more interested from a live perspective because I want to make sure that Marab doesn't get his head knocked off. 
Yeah, and Marlon Marais' case, his, his gift is his curse, right? He won a World Series of Fighting title. He signed a big money contract when he came over to UFC. And as a result, they're doing him no favors. I believe he makes a disclosed $125,000 base plus an additional $125,000 to win. So this guy makes a quarter million dollars in victory. And as a result, the UFC is not looking to get him necessarily a victory. They're looking to give him the best guys that they can, and he's going to have to earn it tooth and nail. And it's just so hard to get your confidence back going, that being the case. I mean, Corey Sanhagen wheel kick. Oh, how does a man come back from that? But you're expected to come back from that in a two-month turnaround time. Two-month turnaround time to fight Rob Fawn. Well, what do you think was going to happen, Paul? The guy was obviously not quite there. You're still going to be chinny. No idea how he got cleared. And as a result, Rob Font takes him out inside of one singular round. So it's not been a great run for him. They're not coming back. The UFC's like, well, we're half worried about his health. So we're not going to give him another top power puncher in the division. But they're giving him another top guy in the division, Rob Devashvilian. Yeah, it's probably going to be better for his head, right? But now he's going to use his grappling skills big time because Marab just keeps coming at you. He's a very, very, very difficult style to deal with. And he's a difficult style to deal with when you're 33 years old, coming off back-to-back knockout losses. You know, questionably, people, some people thought he lost the Jose Aldo fight, but I thought he won it. And then before that, he's knocked out by Henry Cejudo in a fight where he flat out gasses after the first round. So it hasn't been the greatest run for Marlon, but at his best. He's a far better striker than Marab Devashvili. At his best, he used to fight five-round fights. Three rounds shouldn't be a problem for him. At his best, he's got good takedown defense. And if he keeps this thing standing, he'll have a ton of success. It's mm-hmm. just I don't think he's no longer at his best. So I, I think that when you're Marab Devashvili, you know, uh, you, you should just go out there with the same game plan you always do. Put your pace on him. Put your grind on him. And even if you do, lose the first round. And I'm agreeing with you. Even through the first two or three minutes, Marlon probably stops the first two shots, right? He lands a couple shots. He might even sting Marlon Devashvili. And everyone's like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. I seriously underestimated Marlon. But it seems like gas tank is an issue. And at 33 years old, I don't see it getting any better. Last but not least, he had been with Mark Henry for the best days of his career, right? I mean, that's when he was fighting at his optimal prime. Optimal Prime. Optimus Prime. Anyways, he leaves and he goes to Florida and he like hung around ATT a little bit and he kind of does his own thing on the side. And the results are just not quite there anymore. This fight is effectively nine months after his last knockout loss. So I don't expect him to be chinny, but you're not necessarily wrong with your under two and a half. I unfortunately think Rob Debashvili does not care about finishing these guys. Everything he fights is a decision and he's fought in some pretty low level guys. Meanwhile, with Marlon, if we are going to give him a pass, and, you know, we've been fighting elite-level competition, is that, yeah, it does take a top five, top ten guy to knock him out. Rob Font's an excellent striker. Corey, Hanse- Hanse- sorry, Corey Sanhagen is an excellent striker. Last but not least, Henry Cejudo, you know, the champ, 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 champ. Guy's one of the best to do it, and he just he wore him down. So wearing him down will be the name of the game. Takedown's been the name of the game, but I think I'm going to go with the Dipash Bealy by decision. What about Marab round three plus 1,200? If he's going to get him out of there, well, you know, you never know with Marlon. He could knock him out in the first, right? Like, is he is his chin all the way gone? Who knows? But more than likely, you'd be looking at that third round because, yeah, grind him. First round might be close, but he's starting to tire. Second round, Marab Devashvili because he's landed four more takedowns. And then the third round, just put him in a compromising position and just keep punching. And if the referee's Mark Smith, worst referee in the game, he's just going to stop it, right? So yeah. you, you, need, you need certain referees, certain spots, but I wouldn't say it's outright out of the question i would say marab devashvili's you know made a pretty good reputation of just grinding these guys down and win the decision by any means right 100 percent. 
UFC 266 is coming at you fast, and DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a knockout offer for this weekend's fight. DraftKings is offering new customers $150 in free bets instantly if you bet just $1 on any fight before the main event. That's right. Bet $1 on any UFC 266 fight, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you $150 in free bets instantly. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on football, golf, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And the best part is you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Don't miss out on all the action of UFC 266 with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP when you sign up to receive $150 in free bets instantly if you bet a dollar on UFC 266. That's code DOP to receive $150 instantly only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Winnings paid out. In-site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, we got Dan Hooker taking on Nazrat Hakparast. Minus 145 Hooker, plus 125 Hakparast. There was a little bit of worry about this one last week when it seemed like Dan Hooker wasn't going to be able to get a visa to leave New Zealand to come and fight in America. Then he ended up, you know, he posts this thing to social media and everybody's, oh, great. He's going to have he's going to have an opportunity. I believe he's flying in on Thursday. He's going to basically get there like he's going to get to Vegas at night. And then he's got to like cut weight and then be up the next morning to step on the scales. It's a horrible like I mean, I've, I've spent eight months living in New Zealand. I've traveled back. I've done that 12 hour flight to LAX. And then he'll probably have another little short flight after that. It's tough. Like, it's it throws off all of your biorhythms and stuff. Hopefully, he can sleep on a plane. So that all seemed like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe this is an opening for Nazrat Hakpras. I like Dan Hooker just based on his on his durability and, and his technical skill. And, I, and what I believe is a much, much harder record and, uh, you know, strength of schedule that he's had. Throughout his career. Now it sounds like Nazareth Hakparas is struggling with visa issues. And he doesn't know if he's going to be able to get here. Who knows if this fight's going to end up happening. But I have to go. You know, I was I was thinking it was going to be a really, really tough spot for Hooker. And it is. But now that, like, Hakparas has his own visa issues, I'm back on Dan Hooker. I think even, even if his way ends, hopefully he's able to sleep on a plane. That's a real key thing that is going to help him significantly, and I don't have the answer for that. So there's definitely red flags on both sides of this matchup, and hopefully we get to see them step on the scale and everything everything works out to plan, and we get to see them fight on Saturday. But uh, Dan Hooker would be my pick here. I think he, I mean, the durability is on point for him, and he's a better striker, more voluminous. Uh, yeah, Hooker for me will be you. Yeah, Dan Hooker has legendary durability, but he did just get knocked out by Michael Chandler in his last fight. Of course, I don't Chandler, think that means like he's chinny. Ass, yeah. yeah, right. Chandler is one hell of a hitter. It's just barring, it's worth mentioning that this guy has had traditionally an absolute cast iron chin. 
and uh, someone did eventually break through. So Nazarat could have that puncher's chance, but I, I got to go with Dan Hooker as well. And it pains me to say that. Nazarat Hawkcross has been one of my guys. I've stuck by this guy's side. He's still so young. He's still only 26 years old, and yet he's been fighting in the UFC for a long time. He debuted against Marcin Held. Like, talk about a difficult debut at the time for a young fighter. And since then, he's progressively made improvements to his overall game. He's a good striker, good southpaw, nice rangy left hand. Uh, the takedown defense pretty solid, decent enough cardio. It's just he doesn't – he's not jumping up to that elite level soon enough. I really don't think so, right? His wins, Mark Casey, he's a bottom feeder of the UFC currently. Tebow Gowdy's released from the promotion. Joaquin Silva, I believe, is also released from the promotion. But we back him. We pay stupid, ridiculous, you know, uh, price tags on him because he's always this big favorite. And then we get the Drew Dober fight. We back him here. Again, he is a minus 350 favorite over Drew Dober, and he gets folded up. Big mm-hmm. time. Minute 10 seconds into the first round, Dober lands. Again, you can make the argument Dober's another one of these big heavy-handed guys. But truthfully, that was his first step up. It wasn't just that it was Drew Dober and Drew Dober's an excellent striker. It was that that was the first time he was stepping up in competition. Prior to that, he had been kind of fed lower-level guys and almost always universally came in as a big favorite. The fact that he was a minus three favorite or a minus 350 favorite over Drew Dober shows that the hype was behind him and it wasn't warranted. He rebounds by being Alex Munoz, but he didn't look all that good. And then his last thing is half of Garcia. He wins, lands 100 significant strikes, but doesn't look all that no. good. Mind you, half of Garcia looked pretty decent against him and then turned out to be an outright fraud. Turned so- out to look like half of Garcia against <laughs> Gritzmacher in his follow-up fight. So it's kind of like now you... The only shocking thing about this is that, yeah, this line is incredibly tight. It seems like a great money-making opportunity tight. against uh, for Hooker, to be perfectly honest. And now that yeah. Nazrat has his own visa issues and probably has his own travel issues getting over here, like that that levels the bar. I, I feel like I'm either going to win a lot or lose a lot of money on Dan Hooker this weekend. Or the fight will get scrapped, and then I'll just get voided. Oh, I know, I know. That's why it's like I want to pull my trigger right now, but yeah. I, I don't I don't want my money locked up if the fight doesn't happen, right? And the book's like, yeah, yeah, we'll refund it if the fight don't happen in 30 days. And it's like, ah. Anyways, it doesn't matter. The main thing is hopefully it's going to happen because it's going to be an exciting fight. But again, with Nazareth, he had that one step up against Drew Dober, failed, and then the next two fights after that, even the Garcia fight, okay? Just two more things to bear in mind. One, Rafa Garcia took the fight on, on short notice, mm-hmm. right? So he looked good against him, and he was even on short notice. And then Hafa's subsequent fight with Chris Grutzmacher, right? Grutzmacher put pace on him, and it completely broke him apart. Nazareth should have been that. He landed 100 significant strikes, but he wasn't. he's not really pushing a big pace. And so last but certainly not least, because this is the biggest thing that swings it for Dan Hooker, in my opinion, is that... Hackross has traditionally been a slow starter, and Dan Hooker is a fast starter. And in a three-round fight, I'll be damned, it's going to be very difficult to defeat Dan Hooker. This is a guy that went out there and destroyed Ally Quinta over three rounds, knocked him down, all very difficult stuff to do. Fall performance against Paul Felder. It's a five-rounder. He dominates Felder through three, Paul. Four and five, you know, the damage starts to wear up. He slows down. If it's a three-round fight, Hooker looks like a million bucks and wins a 30-27. He fights Dustin Poirier. Oh, man. Imagine that was a three-round fight. Dan Hooker would have defeated Dustin Poirier over the course of three rounds. But the longer the thing goes, the damage starts to accumulate. And then Michael Chandler is Michael Chandler, right? Let's not discredit him. So against Nazareth, if he comes out there and takes his time, Hooker's not going to give him a chance to breathe. He'll win the first round. Then the line's going to swell in Hooker's favor. Hooker probably wins the second round as well. And if his chin... 
is still cast iron, if he's still got that durability, then at worst, he drops the third round in a bloody war and then still ends up winning this thing on a 29-28. So in a three-round fight, I got Dan Hooker all day here. All right, we move on down the card. We got Chris Dawkins taking on Shamil Abdurakamov. Chris Dawkins is a minus 200 favorite. Shamil can be had for plus 170. Shamil hasn't fought since 2019, and uh, yeah, he's 40 years old entering this fight. Feel like he's super, super like the speed advantage should be massive here for Chris Dawkins. Um, who, I mean, I wasn't very high on him when he first entered the the UFC, but he's looked he's looked the part. He looks like a almost kind of like I'm sure he doesn't have the wrestling like Stipe, but like just being able to be a lot faster than these old guys in this division has been a massive advantage that Stipe used, you know, for his run to the title. I'm not saying that Chris Dawkins is going to make a run for the title. But he's looked really, really good every single step of the way here. Uh, he's making improvements every single fight. Shamil hasn't fought, as I said, since 2019. He was super, super slow, plodding back then. I can only imagine, you know, these things don't get better typically with age. I expect uh, Dawkins to get the job done. Uh, I get. I expect him to get the job done, but you know the over under is minus or is one and a half rounds on this, and I'm not too sure which side of that. I could see it getting over that uh, one and a half, and uh, you know we have a little bit of a later finish, and then, then that'll kind of show us Dawkins's cardio and and whether that checks out over the course of three rounds. But uh, I think Dawkins just dances around Shamil, um, and I, honestly, Sh- Shamil's basically. Uh, almost on the level with like a Linux at this point, maybe a little faster than a Linux. Man, those last few fights for my boy Alexi were super, super ugly. But uh, I'm not expecting much from Shamil in this spot. Are you? No, no. Not only is he 40 years old, but this is his first fight in two years. Said fight two years ago, he got throttled, and I mean throttled by Curtis Blades. And then when you consider his win before that, ultra impressive, Marcin Tybura. He beat Taibura. Taibura got knocked out by Augusto Sakai in a subsequent fight. It was a total write-off. Maybe should retire, go back to KSW, and has reinvented himself with a five-fight winning streak all in the period of time that Abdurrahman has been sitting on the sideline. So I don't think he's getting all that much better. It is heavyweight. We always got puncher's chance in MMA, but it's especially so at heavyweight. And Abdurrahman can strike. He can crack. He's got some decent power. So as long as Doukas doesn't get too cute out there, minds his P's and Q's, yeah, he's got a technical boxing advantage. He's got a speed advantage. He's nine years younger. He's got a decent grappling game. I don't know how good his wrestling is. I'd love to see him plan Abdurakhimov on his back. I don't see that actually happening. But if the fight was to hit the ground, he does have good grappling. BJJ Black Belt, tough, sturdy guy. And, you know, as barring he doesn't get clipped with something, and again, it is possible, but barring he doesn't get clipped with something, I think he's got a lot of advantages here. And he's surging. The UFC knows what they're doing is that, like any division, it's like we're trying to build stars within division. So it something like 135 pounds you got so many stars within it it's like it's murderer's row they all got to fight each other poor poor marlon marais got to fight rob debosh feely coming up a two-fight losing streak fights like heavyweight you need to start building these guys so what they do is they give tom aspinall a fight like sergey spivak it's a fight where he could shine and if he's not for real he's gonna fold but he does shine and right away you see the marketing machine jump behind him why because he's a young good looking mobile heavyweight and they're looking for the that next generation Heavyweight's always been a, a, an old weight class, right? Long of the best heavyweight competitors are usually 35, 38, 40 years old even. You can fight later on. 
but you need that next young crop of guys that you can start developing now. As far as they're concerned with Abdurakhimov, he's been sitting on the sideline for two years. He's 40 years old. He's about a 50-50 fighter within the UFC. All three of his losses before the organization are all by knockout. What's the upside? So you know what they do? They book him with Surreal Gun. They're like, yeah, yeah, fight Surreal Gun. And then he ends up pulling out of the fight. So then they book him against uh, Chris Doukas the first time, and the boat gets rescheduled. So they got a second booking for a week later, and Abdurakhimov pulls out with COVID, right? So mm -hmm. has, the, has that benefited this 40-year-old man who hasn't fought in two years? I'm going to say no, no, right? And then the UFC is still like... Don't worry about it. As soon as you get a negative test, we'll book this thing back, right? So they know what they're doing, and it's up to Delkus to go out and execute. What I've seen so far, it looks like he's on his way to doing that. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on down. This one's a real tricky one for me, Cody. We got Taylor Santos taking on Roxanne Modafferi. Taylor Santos is a minus 410 favorite. Roxanne can be had for plus 310. I mean, we've we've made some jokes and made fun of Roxanne over the years, but what you can really expect from her is she's super, super durable. Athleticism, not exactly off the charts by any stretch of the imagination. Will to compete on a different level. She is very, very tough, gritty. She wasn't expected to be here. Nobody expected her to be here over the years. And, uh, you know, just from her own, like, will... She's been able to stick around in this game for quite a long time. Now, I am aware that, uh, you know, she was supposed to fight. Um, she well, she had like a torn meniscus coming into this matchup. And here's the thing about it. A lot of people, I would be really concerned about it. With her, it's a little bit less of a concern because you're not really like betting her based on mobility that wasn't really what i expected to be part of the package is she gonna be as mobile probably not but she wasn't really all that mobile to begin with the real question here is this is tyler santos going to be able to stop the grappling exchanges because if this hangs out on the feet i don't really pick roxy to beat anybody in striking exchanges the price on taylor santos is just a little bit too much for comfort. The question becomes, again, do we bet Roxanne Modafferi at plus 310? If you're asking me the question, I just can't do it. But I know a lot of people have made some good I money. I made the bet yet. Spam like, oh, betting Roxanne Modafferi fights. I, I, I know. I know. I can't bet Taylor gonna... at this price. Yeah, you know what? I'll give her this, right? These are these are her victories in the UFC uh, since that title fight, right? So she cashed her versus Barbonchak. She's a plus 115. Her versus Antonina Shevchenko. She's a plus 225. Her versus Macy Barber. She's a plus 525. And her versus Andrea Lee. She's a plus 260. So is she capable of, of cashing a tasty plus money ticket? Hells yeah. That's Roxanne Monteferi. Perennial underdog. Always the underdog. But, I mean, there is a good reason for that. And she's another one of these fighters. She's 38 years old. She's coming in with a torn meniscus. She actually pulled out of this Taylor Santos fight four months ago with a torn meniscus. So why was she pulling out of a fight with it then and is able to fight with it now? And, in fact, she pulls out of a fight with Taylor Santos with a torn meniscus and then two months later takes a grappling match and loses by heel hook. So it's just – it's not the most – she's the happy warrior. She's, she's willing to get in there. She's willing to engage. She's willing to scrap. She'll fight anybody – Anytime, anywhere, 
but it's like there's a reason she's the, always the underdog is like then you're not really expecting her to win so what does she do excellent she's got judo black belt bjj black belt if she does end up in top position she's going to be a problem for you zero athleticism standing as you mentioned no footwork very hittable but she's starting to work a striking a little bit in the sense that she'll throw out that jab she'll throw out a bunch of kicks because you know she wants you to take her down and she can try to use some of that jiu-jitsu but She's, she's very quirky and orthodox. And I think for fighters, it's very difficult to prepare for. But the fighters that she's defeated have been all fraudulent, right? Andrew Lee was a fraud. Macy Barber's, a, I guess she's kind of reinvented. She's so young. She'll be back. But was, you know, it was teetering fraud, right? And then Antonina Shevchenko is not her sister, Valentina. Keep that in mind. With Taylor Santos, I'm not fully sold on this girl either. No. The one thing that I am actually half sold on is for two rounds, this girl is a problem. She is strong. She's got brick wall hips, good takedown defense, striking. I'd like to see a little more volume out of her, but everything's pretty crisp, big leg kicks on her, and everything's power, power, power. She does tend to get very tired the later the fight takes place and generally ends up dropping that third round. I thought the Jillian Robertson fight her last time out, she looked overall a little bit improved in the cardio aspect. And this fight with Roxanne Monteferi, I don't see Roxanne taking her down, at least not for the first two rounds. In those first two rounds, Roxanne's, not going to outstrike her, I don't believe. And so we're going to have a classic third-round scenario where Taylor Santos is going to be tired. Roxanne's going to try to make a comeback. But again, I'm not, I'm not sold on Roxanne's. You know, some, her submission game is okay, but she's not winning submissions. She's winning decisions, right? She's able to take you down and control you. I don't think Taylor's that fighter. So is 410 wide for a women's MMA fight of this nature? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And has Roxanne Modaferi not blown a few tickets in the past? Yes, absolutely. She has. Buyers beware there. But at this stage in the game, Taylor Santos is the rightful favorite. I just have a hard time going the other way. Cody, we've got a we've got a an an issue here though. Nico Montano. So her UFC debut, her proper UFC debut. Obviously, she lost to, to Sajara Eubanks on the Ultimate Fighter, but then ended up taking um, you know, taking her spot in the in the finals. So Nico Montano takes the L there. Barb Honchak gets a dub. Sajara Eubanks takes the L there. Antonina Shevchenko win. Uh, Jennifer Maya loss. Macy Barber win. Lauren Murphy loss. Andrea Lee win. Viviani Arujo loss. And here we are with her oh, as a plus shit. three ten dog. You better uh, better watch out, kid. I'll check out the weigh-ins first before I do anything about it. But I'm not going to be touching Taylor Santos. I, I just can't do it. Not at this price. I don't think he's proven enough. I and you know me. I just like I. It pains me to even consider betting Roxanne Modafferi, particularly coming off of injury. It all seems like bad news, but value is value, and I think the value is squarely on Roxanne at plus three ten, uh, if anything. But uh, yeah, on on Twitter at Paul Shag, I'll be uh, posting all of my plays as is tradition. Moving on down, we got Euros Medic taking on J- Jalen Turner minus one twenty Medic Medic Medic. I don't know how to pronounce that one. Jalen Turner can be had four plus one hundred. Who you got here? 
I, I, I'm favoring like a dog or pass type situation. I feel like we don't have a ton of underdogs in, in the, on this card. Uh, Jalen Turner is the plus 100. It's not like you're getting anything great out of him. It's just, it's a 50-50 fight. It's not one you're going to want a ton of investment on. It's not one that you're going to feel totally com- comfortable with. But looking at Euros Medic is that uh, he, he had fought for Alaska FC against bottom level competition. He looks extremely strong. He looks like a physical guy, but he could very well be a Lewis Koski or Orion Koski. Like he could be one of these guys that can bum rush lower level opposition, get the win. But beyond that, what's his game look like? I don't know because he hasn't had to actually go there. Picks up a 5-0 record for uh, Alaska FC, debuts on Contender Series. So now he's got a big opportunity. And that's where he does an excellent job. He leaves the confines of Alaska and actually goes down to King's MMA. He's getting in some excellent work there with one of the best gyms in the world. And uh, you do see the improvements out of him. Unfortunately, not his fault, but unfortunately, he knocks out this Mikey Gonzalez, 221 in the first round, swarms him. You see he's got big power in his hands, but it's, it's, it's a lot more of the same. So now the UFC signs him because on the contender series, if you win, especially if you get a first round finish, you're getting a contract. He comes into the UFC, they gave him a long cruise, and it's much of the same. He goes out there, he finishes cruise inside of, a, inside of two minutes, I believe, gets the knockout. And again, it's another spot where he's this big, strong, physical guy, but I, I, I don't know how he's going to hold up the later rounds go. In the case of Jalen Turner, five pro losses, and he has been knocked out three times, right? I mean, you can make a case that some of those, Vincente Luque is the only guy to knock him out in the UFC, and that's a high-level loss. That's no problem. It's that he's been fighting, for the most part, a middling level of competition. Now, he's going to come in here with, I think, a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. So what I'd like to believe is that he's going to be able to use that reach advantage to stay to the outside, keep him at bay. And this isn't the apex. This is the full-size octagon, right? They're fighting uh, at the T-Mobile Arena. It's a big pay-per-view. So he's going to have distance to work with. He's going to have space to work with. And I do think he's probably the cleaner, more refined striker. As far as big-time experience goes, at least we've seen him go three rounds. At least we've seen him go a few rounds. And at least we've seen a little bit of grappling out out of him as well. So I would like to believe that he could have some skills to make this happen. The four and a half reach advantage in a big octagon, certainly not going to hurt. And I feel like Turner could be live. So it's minus 120 Medic for comeback, plus 100 on Turner. I'm labeling this as a dogger pass, really not getting any plus money on it. But uh, as far as the confidence level and the priority list betting this weekend, it's, it's a 13 fight card currently because uh, Mano Fioro fell off. So 13 fight card, there's, there's better spots in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it seems like an underplay on this fight is, is really what's in order. Uh, you know what? The, what? Euros Medic has never fought beyond six and a half minutes, so I would say that the under play one is and a half are always a little bit dicey, but that's plus one fifty, yeah, yeah. so I don't think that's a very bad spot. And if you can find a two and a half rounder out in the interwebs, yeah, I see under two and a half is juiced to minus one thirty five at one shot. I think that's that's the way to go about it. Obviously, eating a whole bunch of juice on that, but. We don't know what this, yeah, we don't know what Medich looks like outside of the first round, let let alone into round three. So uh, that's how yeah. I, that's how I'd play this fight, which I think is, you know, not exactly, uh, you know, super, super sharp. I'm, I imagine most people are kind of thinking about this fight that way as well. All right, moving on down. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, you go ahead. No, we can move on. It doesn't matter. Did you, yeah, you can have, you can have whatever you got to do. No, I was going to say it's another good live betting opportunity because if, if, 
um, Medich comes out there and puts it on strong on Jalen Turner in the first round, maybe it hurts Jalen Turner a little bit. I think Turner is able to, if he survives the first round, he'll have the pace. First of all, we've seen him go those later rounds. And also you look at his last two wins, Josh Kulabau, he landed 55 significant strikes through eight minutes. And then the Brock Weaver fight is next time out. He drops him twice and lands 66 significant strikes through nine minutes. So neither of those fights went to the third round and he was well on his way to landing over hundred significant strikes. Whereas Medich were questioning, can he go into those later rounds? Even if he can, that's a hell of a pace. His he's banger bust. He's knocking out under one and a half. If this thing goes beyond a first round and you get a big plus money play on Turner, he's still alive. His pace should be able to take over late. So maybe just have a, have a good, cause cause we've got this low on the priority list. Maybe look at this from a live betting standpoint instead. I don't know what to expect from Martin Sano, who is a plus 360 underdog to Matthew Semmelsberger. Semmelsberger can be had for minus 490. What this Martin Sano has not fought since 2017. He had a draw against Diego Herzog in Bellator. He lost the previous fight there against Don Muhammad and lost to Dominic Waters, who I remember um, Waters from uh, his little run in the UFC. Didn't do great in the UFC, so he lost a unanimous decision to him. Got knocked out by Don Muhammad and a majority draw against Diego Horzak. The only reason he's on this card is because he's boys with the Diaz brothers. Um, Kind of hilarious. Interesting that they picked Semmelsberger as the guy. Like, this is the guy that they were like, this is our worst guy on our roster. Like, what? How did they, how did they come? How did they come to this, you know? Like, how did they, is this the only guy that was available that they thought maybe, just maybe they can get a win? Or do they see something? Or they were just happy to get whatever. I mean, it's really, really weird to see. Matthew Semmelsberger as a near five to one favor, but uh, frankly, this is a contender series fight. At very best, this is a contender te- contender series fight, and we see those types of lines kind of all the time, where it's clearly one guy is supposed to win, is supposed to get the contract, and the other guy's just being brought in, whether it be short notice or he just happened to be there when they were looking for guys at the gym. Um. Do you know what what do you got on this Sano guy? Does he have any sort of shot? Is Semmelsberger a lock of all locks? Is Sano supposed to be a bit of a grappler, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's another one of these Diaz Academy guys. He's got good grappling. He's actually got pretty decent cardio as well. So I expect him to probably be able to fight over the course of three rounds. But again, it's hard to gauge because he hasn't had a pro fight in three and a half years. He hasn't won a pro fight in five and a half years. Sorry, no, he hasn't won a fight in... Since 2014. Yeah, man, six and a half years. Six and a half years since this guy's won a fight. Almost seven years. Pretty pretty crazy. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, MMA is a crazy thing. I think what people are over-realizing, because they're only looking at the top part of his record, is he actually does show a submission victory over Jeff Neal, and it's just his second pro fight. Jeff Neal obviously went on to be a pretty decent fighter, so no doubt about it, he can grapple. He is a black belt. It just hasn't translated particularly well in MMA, and the reason that is... Is his wrestling just not good enough? Yeah, it's hard. If you if you have great jujitsu, but you're not getting these guys to the ground, you're forced to stand with them, and standing with them hasn't been going his way. 
against Dominic Waters. You know, Dominic Waters is a long, lanky frame, but he's got decent grappling his own right. Keep the fight standing control where you want to take it. The Dom Hallman fight, I mean, it's over before it gets going, gets knocked out. And then to have a majority draw against Diego Herzog, you know, a fellow four and two opponent, you know, that's the end of it. It's just, he hasn't looked great, although it just doesn't look like he's an MMA fight, right? He's a, he's a good grappler. He's got good cardio. Maybe he could be doing some sport jiu-jitsu. We haven't seen him compete at any notable tournaments. He doesn't go to these, you know, underground grappling matches. He doesn't go to anything notable. He's largely just float under the radar. But he's one of Diaz's guys. And so this isn't unusual at all. First and foremost, we've already seen the Diaz brothers do it. Remember when Chris Avila came and fought on one of, uh, he fought Artem Lobov on an undercard for Nate Diaz. It's like, why was Chris Avila in fighting in the UFC? Well, he's a Caesar Gracie guy. Did you realize you got your computer in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Check out Chris Avila right now. Chris Avila. Yeah, so Chris, just go to Tapology, put in Chris yep. A-V-I-L-A. I'm typing in his name. Yeah, of course yep. you got it. Chris yeah, Avila, 8-9 now. Yeah, so so look at his record when he came into the UFC. No, right? I, re- I remember when he when he showed up to take on Artem. The GOAT. Yeah, dude. Oh, he so took he on was, the GOAT. He, I know, but he had the same record. He's five, he was 5-2, and two, right? He, yeah. won, he was 4-2. and two, He won a fight. He came only because it was Diaz versus McGregor 2. Nate was like... <laughs> You don't think I can get drawn this card, dog? I won the last fight. I got some pull. That's why he was on the card. Mm-hmm. He loses to Artem Lobov. They book him against Enrique Barzolo. He loses. Then he lost to Ricky Palacios on the on the regional scene. And then Jamal Emers. And then Horatio Gutierrez beat a 10 and 11 opponent. And then lost to a 4 3 opponent, a 6 and 5 opponent. And then recently has defeated a 1 and 2 opponent and a 9 and 32 opponent to, to rectify his record. Because previously you're seeing 8 and 9, but he was 7 and 9 having lost six of his last seven fights since the UFC released him, shouldn't have been there, but had some pull, had a buddy. Remember when Anderson Silva? Anderson Silva fought Israel at Asanya. And everyone's like, holy crap, man, why would you do that? And he's like, and then it translated to my buddy Marcos Mariano would also like to fight. And they they paraded this guy out against Lando Venata. It was embarrassing. Oh, man, that was embarrassing. So there's a precedent here, right? This is true. I don't care if you work factory job, you work construction, you work in sales, you work in fitness, you work in any walk of life, right? Any walk of life. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's not what this guy knows, it's who he knows, and that happens to be Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz is the reason he's on this card. So how does he match up against Semmelsberger? Semmelsberger is big for this weight class, 6'1 at 170 pounds. He's a big physical guy. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. his takedown defense is great, but he's strong. He's hard to peel on the ground. I would have liked to have seen a little more volume out of him in his last fight against Chaos Williams. I thought that was a close competitive fight, and I thought he could have won it. He just needed to do a little bit more. But you have to remind yourself that it's difficult to say, do more against Chaos Williams, because like at any moment, he's going to just chuck a bomb at your head. Like It's a very dangerous, risk-adverse type fight. And here he comes in, he uses his counter-wrestling, keep the fight standing, bop this guy up, wear him down. I think Semmelsberger wins. Would I ever, is there a world that exists that you'd want to pay 5-1 to one over Matthew Semmelsberger? No. And this should be a contender series fight. And if you saw it as a five to one in contender series, you might also think I want no interest. So def a definite buyer beware just because he's one of the bigger favorites on the card. And we, there's just a big clear narrative here that you don't want none of this nano guy. 
he's still it's still a five to one proposition on Semmelsberger. So I ain't gonna go against that. I do think he gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I just think at this point everybody's on the same page and the line's been steamed up. And taking on a grappler, who knows? You know, there's always gonna be an opportunity for a submission. But Semmelsberger yeah. has been submitted once in his career. It was a long time ago. I expect him to uh, to be ready to go here. Yeah, I I mean I I'm just looking through the uh, I mean it's only the top fifty. Uh, middleweights in the world on tapology. Yeah, Walter Weights. Like, uh, this fight's at, is that middleweight? I thought it was a middleweight. Yeah, I thought I thought it was 170 because he's a monster 170. Summelsberger is. I don't know how big he'd be at 185 to be perfectly Let's honest. Let's see dude. here. Now you're throwing me off codes. Well, I mean, he would have fought Carlton minus Jason Witt and Chaos Williams are all Walter. Oh, you're it's 100% right. Welterweight. No, yeah. it's definitely Walter Weight. It may have even said welterweight. I just saw, yeah, Sano had fought at 185 is, I guess, his last fight, which was four years ago. All right. Well, I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like who was a who's who can't. They should have brought like Krista Dulu back. Uh, what's that guy up to? Maybe that. Maybe Christa that would have. Yeah, Anthony Krista or CM Punk. CM Punk, Martin Sano. Oh, this guy would kill CM Punk. Yeah. As much as we were saying he's got no chance against Semmelsberger, he would run right. Through CM, he's a BJJ black belt. This thing wouldn't be one get out of the first round. Sure. And his wrestling is good enough to take down CM Punk. <laughs> Not good enough to take down maybe a UFC Conor fighter. McGregor, maybe Conor McGregor's got a fa- a friend that needs a fight or something like that. Semmelsberger like, Sem- should should absolutely trash this guy. All right. Finally, we got uh, Omar Morales taking on Jonathan Pierce. Uh, Omar Morales minus one fifty five favorite. Pierce can be had for plus one thirty five. Who you got here? I'm going to take the underdog shot here and go with Jonathan Pierce, JSP, not as uh, not quite as effective as GSP, but I, I like what I see out of him. I like backing these guys that kind of mix in the wrestling with the striking, but have great volume, great pace, great cardio, and they're able to take you into some deeper waters and kind of drown you. That's the kind of style that I like. You know, you could be down around, but you're not going to get tired. You're not going to quit on yourself. And I like what I see out of JSP. Obviously, we're never going to be able to talk about this guy and not talk about the Joe Lozon fight, but I think he's doing the best he can to put that in the rearview mirror and, uh, you know, kind of kind of show everyone he's different than that. When he was on the Contender Series, he looked good. Not in the sense that he's clean and he's crisp and he's a refined product, but 142 significant strikes landed, four takedowns, and he finished the thing two minutes into the third. So everything you would have wanted to see out of a guy, great pacing out of him. Unfortunately, he takes a fight with Joe Lozon in Boston. And that's where it's a serious problem. Mm-hmm. Beating Joe Lozon's tough enough as it is. Beating Joe Lozon in Boston, near impossible. Ask Dan Lozon about that. So he comes back in the Kekar France fight, and I cash an underdog ticket on there based on Kekar France seemed like he had suspect cardio and allows the pace to get away with him sometimes. And with JSP, he comes out there, and it's the same thing. He's mixing in the takedowns extremely well, but it's the pace. It's the volume. He eventually tires you out because you're trying to match him tit for tat, and once you start to get tired, he's able to take around. He's excellently trained. He's always in good shape. He's still a young guy. I think he's only 28 years old making improvements, I think he's going to be able to go out there and hopefully wear on Omar Morales. Now, when you look at Omar, let's say we're just going to talk about his four fights in the UFC. Dung Young Ma, 32 strikes landed, 32 significant ones, they're pretty much the same thing, over the course of 15. Very low output. And Dung Young Ma, the fake stun gun, not known for his chin, right? So not knocking him out, kind of a knock on him, but it was the low output, it was the most takeaway. The Gabriel Benitez fight, he looks as good as he has in the UFC, but only does land the 63 significant strikes. Against Giga, in hindsight, we're going to give him a pass because Giga just is turning out to be a world beater, but he only does land the 34 significant strikes. And then his last time against Shane Young, this is him full throttle with two takedowns and 69 significant strikes landed. So I think that 
in a full 15 minute contest. All four of his fights have gone to decision. He's fighting some durable guys, some chinny guys. They go to decision. So Omar's power, I don't want to underrate it, but I don't think it's as big as people thought it was when he's on the contender series or what it was when he's on the regional scene. I think he's a more guy that's going to go 15 minutes. And over the course of 15 minutes, if he doesn't knock out Jonathan Pierce, I think Pierce is going to start to take over with the volume. And if he's able to mix in takedowns, wear on this guy, tire him out, he's going to have a lot of success. The one thing I am worried about with Omar Morales is that calf kick. Good God, that thing looks deadly, man. And against anybody, it could do a lot of damage. It could take away your lead leg. Now, suddenly you can't shoot for those takedowns. Now, suddenly you're a stationary target. Now, suddenly he beats you. I am worried about his low calf kick. But beyond that, even though he's made improvements, even though he's big at this weight class since dropping down to 55, I'm going to take the underdog shot. And I think that Pierce is able to work him and uh, get a decision victory or, you know, maybe a late stoppage down the stretch, but, but more often than not, probably just secure two of these three rounds and uh, get the win. I'm not going to step in front of you on that one. That, that that's a fight that I'm going to probably stay away from. I don't feel like I've Fair. got a great Fair. edge, but uh, cause I've seen a lot of smart people talk about how they like Morales in this spot. I don't feel like I was able to get Pierce right literally at any point. I think we we thought that Joe Lozon was like on death's door when he showed up and absolutely just destroyed <laughs> this guy. And I think I was that was the first and last time I had ever bet Pierce, and I was just like, I don't know what to do with this guy anymore. Sometimes you just kind of know that it's like certain guys are just going to cost me money. Um, he seems to be one of those guys, but I hope that you cash. Your uh, your Pierce wager, if you decide to do that, plus 135. All right. Uh, I haven't made any bets yet, but the pieces that I am considering this week, Volkanovski minus 170. I'm already actually, sorry, I made one bet. I'm on the over uh, four and a half. I got a little bit of a better price like two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Uh, these lines have been out for a while. But uh, Volkanovski, uh, Hooker, are two uh, you know money lines that I like here. I think I'm going to go to Andrade inside the distance, uh, plus 150. Marab round three, because you know I like these long, the long shot props. They, they get me wet, Cody. They get me excited. And uh, plus 1,200, I could definitely see it playing out. But that's more of a fight, Marab versus Marais. More of a fight that I'm kind of, I, I want to make sure that I wouldn't be touching the minus 268 because I think I can get a better price, and I want to make sure that Marab's head doesn't get knocked off because I still do respect Marlon Marais, at least in that first round. Super, super dangerous. Uh, Doc is in, inside the distance, plus 100. That's that's a spot I'll be getting on, and I want to touch up the uh, under 2.5, and, and I may throw a little bit on the under 1.5 just based on how Euros Medici's fights play out in general. But uh, under 2.5... Probably like a, either a parlay piece, maybe may even be able to hit it straight up. I don't see that at many shops right now, but uh, that's where my head's at. Obviously, I'm at Paul Shag on Twitter. On Saturday, I will have uh, all of my plays for the people to tail or fade. I don't really care. I just hope that I make money. All right, we're just about out of time here, Cody. You know the drill. Hit him with the PRP. Hit him with the PRP. We're gonna go with Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, the over three and a half anyways. And then I'm thinking I'm going to go Volkanovski by decision. We're going with Valentina Shevchenko, the over two and a half. Uh, we're going to go with Robbie Lawler by decision. Curtis Blades by decision. Jessica Andrade by decision. Marad Vajrili by decision. Dan Hooker by TKO. Chris Doukas by TKO. Taylor Santos by decision. Jalen Turner by TKO. Uh, 
I could inside the distance on that one. And don't don't go TKO not necessarily, but I'll go inside the distance on that one. Um, Carl Roberson, I'd love to go inside the distance, but it's just going to be a straight up play if anything. Matthew Semmelsberger, you would think inside the distance, really. That over one and a half kind of looks decent at minus one hundred five. And then wrapping it up, we're gonna what is this? The lone underdog play that can't be good. Jonathan Pierce plus one thirty five. Ripping through quickly. Do we only have the one underdog? Um, I no, mean, I, I got Jalen Turner. Con- What's I, up, Jalen Turner? Saving the day. I mean, Two I'm still underdogs. I'm still considering Roxy, man. That line is just so yeah. wide, so wide, and I think it's gonna keep, it's keep. I mean, it opened at like minus or plus one ninety, and it's just been nobody wants to bet Roxy, and I understand why. But at a certain point, you know, you just have to kind of blindly just like you know plug your nose and take the plunge. But uh, we'll we'll see we'll see weigh-ins. We'll see how this all kind of shakes out. As the week goes on, I can tell you nobody, nobody, the lines across the market just seems to keep growing right now. So uh, patience yeah. is a virtue, may get a better price on Roxy and, uh, and, you know, and pray. If you're, if you're an underdog hunter specifically, Ortega is definitely live and Nick Diaz would be considered live. Yarzina Rosenstruck would be your dog of the weekend. Cause like Paul's saying, plug your nose and dive in mm, plus 245 plus 400 by knockout plus 400 by knockout. Why, is, why not? he, he's, like he, he could be your, he could be your dog of the weekend for sure. I think Cynthia's live and a 220, certainly a decent price tag. Don't care for Marlon. I don't really think Cynthia's Honestly, don't live. care for Nazrat. I always do. I don't care for Abdurakimov, even though he's live. I know you're on Roxanne. I'm not on it. Uh, those, yet. Are, those, are, those are the underdogs. You got three or four good underdog selections, right? It. Obviously, there's probably going to be somebody that ruins a parlay here or there. It's all about keeping the main I, four I together. I don't do the parlay game anymore. Parlay game's a hot game. I just want people to realize, right? I was explained this to somebody the other day. I was like, you've got you've got five hundred dollars. They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So the first week you lost hundred bucks, and he's like, yeah. I'm like, the second week you lost hundred bucks. He's like, yeah. The third week you lose hundred bucks. He's like, yeah. The fourth week you lose hundred bucks. Yeah. The fifth week. Your last 100 bucks, you hit a plus 650. Well, how much money would you have in your account? He's like, 750 bucks. I'm like, right. So you'd have 750 and you started with 500. He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you look at that like you lost four weeks in a row? Or do you look like that like you're profitable? And so I think that's a misconception about parlays is people just assume we're going to hit them every single weekend. It's always going to be a walk in the park. It's MMA. It's sports betting in general. Something crazy could always happen. And I feel like we're not just getting bad reads as much as just bad bounces. And in the fight game, we're going to get good bounces and bad bounces. It's, it's slight. It's narrow. But you're 100% right. If you have $20 and you're hoping to wake up on Sunday morning with $40, to pl- play it safe, right? If you're $100 better and you would want to wake up with $150, you know, there's a good two-to-one play that you can invest your money in. If you're at the bar with your buddies, you got 20 bucks in your pocket, you know, you want to make a couple hundred and pay for a round of drinks – you bet parlays, right? It's fun. Oh, it's yeah, exciting. Sure. And, last, and last but not least, people want to know the take on the whole card, right? Because some people, they want a dollar or two bet on every card, on every fight. And some people, they just pass all together. But at least when you make the parlay, you rank everything from your most confident. That's your top ticket, your one and two. And I always, I always put the first guy before the second guy. It's your most confident the whole way through. And that segues me perfect to end this segment off by saying, we are giving away. We've been running this contest the last week. It's a... Uh, Buy a, wear, uh, buy a a share in a racehorse, right? So we've got an excellent group of guys. Pat uh, Pat Mayo's on board. Paul Shaughnessy's on board. J- Jeff Feinberg's on board. I have a list of all the guys. I don't know if they want me to read their name out on air. If you're okay with that, shoot me up a DM. Um, we're going to have a big group chat going. But anyways, main thing is we're purging, 
purchasing a racehorse for the 2022 season and have a lot of fun with it. And I wanted to give away 1% to the fans because of course this show not made possible without the support that we've always received from the community. And if you're still watching this show right now, this late into it, you are an old school fan. You are a hardcore fan. You are somebody that supports us. And I would like to give back to you. So we're going to play the PRP game. You don't necessarily have to hit the PRP, but if you do, you get the 1%. If it's just, unless it's a tie, we'll have to go to tiebreak rules. But list it from most confident all the way down to least confident. And whoever gets the most consecutive picks in a row, like the show. What, in or the comments like, section? It'll be the, I'm going to put out a tweet. You have to like the tweet. You have to retweet it. And you just have to put your picks, most confident to least confident, in the comment section. If you like, you retweet, you have the most consecutive picks, you're the winner. You get 1% 20 for the 2022 season. It's a 500 US value. And of course, we're hoping to give you back a $1,000 return. Um, you could get a $100 back return. You will get something out of it, no matter if the horse doesn't race well. Th- there will always be a monetary return coming your way. But all the same, you know, as a reward, jump back in on the action with us. We support, we, we appreciate all the support always have over the years. And uh, I think this would be a cool little contest giveaway. So this show's launching tonight. We've recorded today. It's going to be at Wednesday night. The tweet will be out and you will have until the fights start on Saturday to get that in. And then just as an example, last week, um, you know, I, I got, I got six in, let's say you get six in a row, right. But Tony, or you could, it doesn't even matter. No example. Let's just say there's 13 fights on this card and you go 11 for 13, but the fourth guy in a row does it. You're out. You're out. It's consecutive picks, most confident to least confident. I'll tweet out some more stuff about the contest details, but just to give you guys a heads up and uh, best of luck to everybody. Thanks for always being in our corner. And for anybody who's bought into the horse, just, you can just let option. it be known. Yeah, we yeah. told Andercust that he can't be involved because <laughs> we don't want the horse getting turned into glue. If you have already purchased a 1% share in the horse, you are still more than eligible to enter the contest. If you win, you have an option. You can either have 2% on the racehorse for the year, or I'll send you back the refund on the 1% you've already purchased. But well, this has been you, very, uh, yeah. Continue. Yeah, go ahead. Continue your. No, no, it's all good. No, I was just saying that. That was about it. That was, we're just shooting the shit at this point. We've talked fights. We've talked a little horse racing. Obviously I'm excited to get things going and uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's Nick Diaz fight week. So there's a little something extra in the atmosphere, but yeah, I just, I'm pumped up, buddy. Yeah. We just, you know, we just wanted to make sure that the horse very uncursed, not a (laughs) cursed horse. Even Tim loves horse racing. And I think he's like kind of upset that like we wouldn't let him in, but it's like, we know what happens. When the Ander curse takes over, it's just like it would just be bad. It would be bad news for everybody. I don't even know. Well, if I, I don't do. even know if I want him. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna make a what a, a Twitter group. So if I mean, every single person that reached out to you has a Twitter profile. We're gonna make a all Twitter group one, yeah. so we can all kind of sweat the horse races together, which should be a good time. Yeah, yeah. No, with Tim, Tim's actually pretty decent on like Kentucky Derby picks and whatnot, but I think the general curse around him, maybe keep him on the outside. I think the real move is we get a good pair of mutual start. We let our horse get up to some good odds, maybe get him out of 20 to 1, 30 to 1, some nice ticket opportunity, and we get Tim to come in and bet the field. Mm-hmm. Everybody but our horse, right? Mm-hmm. How could you lose then? Some type of whack axe, and hopefully the animal doesn't get hurt, but something would unforeseen would definitely happen and uh, hopefully puts us in a great position to win. But all the same, I mean, the horse is going to be able to race, hopefully knock on wood, uh, can race 30 times a year. So there's going to be lots of opportunity to get on the action, watch the races. Even if you miss a week, there's always going to be another one. And I think uh, there'll be the group chat. We're going to send out video updates and you'll always kind of be in the loop, whether you care or not, you want to tune in once in a while and totally fine. But if you ever need anything and it's going to be 
going to keep everyone as involved as we possibly can. So it should yeah. be a lot of fun. I mean, the way and it'd I... be a lot more fun if we crush UFC 266, make all that money anyways, and then everything else is just gravy. Yeah, the way that I look at it is it's 500 bucks. I, I've wasted 500 bucks in much, much more egregious ways. And it seems like 500 bucks for a year of entertainment. It should be a good time. I'm not expecting to become freaking rich off of this. Hopefully we do become rich off of it, but yeah, it's 500, I, uh... 500 bucks for the first year. And then obviously you'll follow up with like other fees from that. But yeah, I believe registration's already closed for that for everybody. I, so everybody I, else I actually, watching right yeah. now, like, Hey, I want to get in the horse. We, me and Cody actually talked about this before we got on. And I said, well, you know, there's thousands of people watching the show, listening to the show. Maybe for like the 50 people that are involved, maybe maybe it's unnecessary to bring it on the program. So you can yell at Cody and if, if he's not allowed. Like, I mean, he's not allowed to let anybody else in at this point. So you missed your opportunity. But I wish us luck all the same. Hopefully we can do it again next year. Yeah. I mean, I mean if it really takes off, we'll, we'll buy more horses. Anyway, that's it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Safdick and producer Matt, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.